Good morning. My name is Todd Komarowski. The scripture reading today comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it to do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And and while seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I brought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, treasures of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied no pleasure to myself. I even found great pleasure in hard work and reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Todd. Thank you so much. You said that there. Thank you. So grateful for our people here at Grace willing to take a risk and read Scripture publicly. So thank you, Todd, for being a part of that. In 2006, Will Smith starred with his son Jaden Smith in the film The Pursuit of Happiness. And the film tells the true story of Chris Gardner, who, through persistence and hard work, rose from homelessness to become a multi-millionaire stockbroker. Chris Gardner sold medical equipment for a living. And one day, Chris met a man named Bob Bridges in a red Ferrari. So let's watch the movie's depiction of Chris Gardner's meeting with this man in the red Ferrari. I got two questions for you. What do you do and how do you do it? <laughs> I'm a stockbroker. Stockbroker? Oh. Yeah. I had to go to college to be a stockbroker, huh? You don't have to. I had to be good with numbers and good with people. That's it. Hey, you take care. Hey, I'm going to let you hang on to my car for the weekend, but I need it back for Monday. Feed the meter. <laughs> Still remember that moment. They all looked so happy to me. Why couldn't I look like that? So, with dreams of becoming a stockbroker, Chris landed an interview at the firm Dean Witter. And lacking business attire, Chris went, uh, went to the interview wearing a members-only jacket and paint-speckled shoes. And against all odds, given his attire, Chris landed an internship that paid him $1,000 per month. 
One of the most heart-wrenching scenes in the movie reflects an actual event in Chris Gardner's life. Chris and his son locked the door and spent several evenings on the bathroom floor of the MacArthur subway station in Oakland, California. They would lock the door, and when someone would bang on the door to try to get in, Chris and his son would just remain quiet until the person went away. Chris and his son were also given shelter by a mission of Glide Memorial Church. The mission was exclusively for homeless mothers with children, but Reverend Cecil Williams of Glide Memorial had compassion on them and made an exception to take in Chris and his son. And after making his millions, Chris helped the mission that had taken him in by helping fund a $50 million effort to provide affordable housing and jobs for low-income families. And I bring up Chris Gardner's story because it is a heartwarming tale of rags to riches. It is the American dream at his finest, at its finest, and it is told in the pursuit of happiness. And the pursuit of happiness is found in our actual Declaration of Independence. Here's what the Declaration says. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That the American dream is one of endowing people with the right to pursue happiness, endowing people with the right to look for the ways that they will find happiness. And the whole point of this series that we're in the middle of called Destroying the American Dream is to take the American dream and take our Western slash American way of thinking and subjugate it to the authority of God's Word. To put the American dream under the microscope of strict Scripture because we are Christians far before we are Americans. Yesterday at Steve Ripple's Celebration of Life service, I was talking to Greg Greg Johnson and I noticed he had two pins on his suit coat. One was an American flag and the other was a cross. And I said... Greg, I like your pins. And he said, you'll notice how I've placed the cross above the American flag because we are Americans first, or we are Christians first and we are Americans second. And I said, you're absolutely right, Greg. So the whole point of this series is to take the American dream and look at it through the lens of Scripture. And today we are taking that idea of the pursuit of happiness and the right to find happiness and putting it under the microscope of Scripture and God's Word. You'll notice that the spelling of the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, is purposely misspelled with a Y. They say happiness with a Y instead of an I. And they asked Chris Gardner in an interview, why do you spell happiness with a Y instead of an I, how it's correctly spelled? And Chris Gardner says for two reasons. The first reason is that is the way that it was spelled on the wall of the daycare where my son used to spend his days when I would drop him off to go to work. And the second reason is this. Chris says that Y stands for you. And the question, what makes you happy? That Y stands for you. And the question, what makes you happy? So let's ask that question. We're going to do a little bit of a poll thing here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you something that makes me happy. And if it makes you happy as well, you raise your hand so we can see who can share in the happiness here. Okay. So the first thing that makes me happy is a concrete mixer from Culver's. Who is happy about this? All right, almost the whole room, which is surprising. I thought it'd be 100%, but yeah. So my favorite is vanilla with Reese's peanut butter cups and Oreo mix-ins, right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, LeSage. Oh, yeah, thank you all. You like, you like my ice cream better than my music. Okay, so <laughs> next, next, one, <laughs> next one is bringing my kids to a playground to play. Who does this make happy? Or grandkids? We'll include grandkids. Yeah, okay, good, good. Uh, next one is, you knew it was coming, and you know this about me now, exploring abandoned buildings. 
Who does this make happy? Oh, yes, a few of us out there. Yes. Oh, I love abandoned buildings. This is St. Agnes in Detroit, which is a, an abandoned Catholic church. It is just beautiful. Um, love it. Okay, next one is, this is one that's kind of particular. So, the smell of pavement at the beginning of a summer rain makes me happy. Does that make anyone else happy? I think that smells so good. It just makes me happy. Okay. Next one is Arnold Palmer, not the golfer, all right, the beverage, all right, the lemonade and iced tea mixed together. Yes, this is what got me off soda. So it's probably about the same sugar count, unfortunately, so it's no net gain there. When the Packers intercept the opposing quarterback, that makes me happy. Yes, and you'll notice I picked my favorite player, Charles Woodson, about to pick off the opposing quarterback. Actually, I was at the preseason game uh, last week, Thursday, and there was like four turnovers. It was like, this is the best preseason game I've ever been a part of. Like, we got, we got our money's worth because I got the tickets for free, especially. So, yeah, yeah it was awesome. I'm, I'm sitting with my friend, and we're like, in some ways, isn't it amazing that this means nothing? So we can just sit back and eat and chat and, like, whatever happens, we can just go, yay! Or if something bad happens, we go, oh, man. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's great. Um, you knew it was coming. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Who makes this happy? Yeah, okay, yeah. That even got a cheer. All right, this one is really niche. Getting a Bible commentary. Purchasing a new Bible commentary. That makes me happy. Oh, Greg Johnson's... Greg, raise your hand. There you go. All right. Uh, It also makes me happy when my lawn is so dry that it's not growing, so I don't have to mow it, like right now. Yes, I have a lawn... I can plant, which is great, and it's, and it's got grass, but it's not growing, so I don't have to mow it, woohoo, best kind of lawn. Someday they'll have turf for people like me. Okay, um, discovering a new podcast makes me happy. Anyone else that makes happy? Okay, kind of niche, Karen, all right, podcast. Lastly, I love haircuts, that makes me happy, getting a haircut. Does that make anyone else happy? Really, you like haircuts, good for you, yeah, good, good. So, this is the question that Solomon is going to take up in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's going to ask the question, what makes you happy? And when we deal with Ecclesiastes, it can often be really confusing because it doesn't sound like how we think the Bible should sound. I mean, look at the second verse of Ecclesiastes. It says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. And you're like, really? It's like, what? Did someone put, like, switch my Bible out with something else? Or am I reading some sort of punk band lyrics all of a sudden? Like, what is going on? This doesn't sound like how the Bible should sound. What's going on here? So it can be very confusing. I take the traditional view that Solomon wrote the book. There's not a whole lot of consensus as to who wrote the book, and there's certainly good reason for why there's debates about who wrote it. I just take the traditional view, Solomon, and we're on solid ground. I mean, look at this. It says in verse 1, it says, These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who is King David's son, Solomon, who ruled in Jerusalem, who ruled in Jerusalem, Solomon. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, Solomon, and I lived in Jerusalem, Solomon. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore wisdom by everything done under heaven. God came to Solomon and asked him, what do you want? And Solomon said, wisdom. So all signs, in my opinion, point to Solomon. And so we can have the debate, but we're not going to have it here. But I just think that Solomon wrote it. So I take the view that Solomon wrote it. And I imagine that as Solomon is writing Ecclesiastes, I imagine that he is channeling a rebellious and angst-filled teenager. I imagine that Solomon looks a whole lot like this. He's got a cigarette in one hand 
and a pen in the other hand, and he's got a black sweatshirt on with his hood up over his head. He's listening to some punk music. He's got gauges in his ear. He has ripped skinny jeans that are black with Vans shoes on. And he's got a black t-shirt that says, I hate everyone on it, as he's blowing out a vape. All right? This is how I imagine Solomon writing Ecclesiastes. Vape in one hand, pen in the other, channeling a rebellious and teenager full of angst. And as a rebellious and teenager who is full of angst, he is going to go around and do what teenagers like to do, and that is smash stuff. Everything in Ecclesiastes is a smash session. And this would not be a Bill sermon were it not for a Simpsons reference. All right, so we are going to watch a rebellious, angst-filled Homer smashing a weather station for the fun of it. So let's roll that video, you guys. Beautiful, huh? Homer and I used to come up here on dates. Homer, stop that. It's just a weather station. Come on, Marge. It's fun to smash things. (laughs) I smashed it good. (laughs) You got real pretty hair. <laughs> I love that teenage Homer, right? He's just smashing something, and Marge is like, "Stop it!" He's like, "It's fun to smash stuff, right?" And so I bring this up because this is what Solomon is doing in Ecclesiastes. He is just smashing anything he possibly can come across. I am part of a Facebook group called Simpsons Calvinist Posting, which is really niche. So what this is is these are Simpsons memes about Reformed theology. It's awesome. And I made a meme for that, out of this screen grab, for that group, and I submitted it. So it looks like this, all right? Solomon, with the club of Ecclesiastes, is just smashing our presuppositions and expectations in this book. That you think things go this way, bam, smashes it, all right? Or you would normally expect this to be the case, and he just takes Ecclesiastes and smashes that expectation and that presupposition. Or you think you're going to find happiness here, and he just smashes that expectation is what he's doing as a rebellious teenager in Ecclesiastes. He is just smashing whatever he possibly can. I mean, look at this. Just for example, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. Smashed. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. He's just smashing the generations and the cycle of history and saying there's nothing new. Some people say, here is something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. The iPhone 10 has a camera that is 12 megapixels. Well, guess what? The human eye sees at 576 megapixels, and that's been around since creation. So there's nothing new under the sun. Bam! Smashes! I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. We're meaningless, man. Bam! He's smashing. I observed everything going on under the sun. And really, it is all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this knowledge is like chasing after the wind. I set out to learn everything I possibly could. And at the end of the day, it's meaningless. Smash! 
I was talking to Daniel Foster earlier this week and asking him about his AP classes that he's about to take this coming year, and he said he gets his schedule later this week. And then I said, okay, Daniel, so AP was a thing when I was in high school, but it was a newer thing, and the offerings were pretty limited, and I was too dumb to get into them. And um, I said, so explain to me, you know, what is the deal with AP? And he started explaining to me, and he said that there are actually some colleges out there that do not accept AP placement. And he said he, he's looking at MSOE, and he thought that MSOE does not accept AP placement. So here's a meme, right? Takes AP classes, thinks that they'll actually count for college credit, right? I pursued all this wisdom, and at the end of the day, it was meaningless and never mattered because my college never took the AP classes that I busted my butt for in the first place, right? Amanda Ziegler, this meme is for you. Where's Amanda? There she is. Takes all honors and AP classes, dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you like that one, right? Yeah, you know what that's like, right? Yeah. So you take all these AP classes and you get into MSOE, and at the end of the day, guess what? We don't even accept this advanced placement stuff that you tried so hard to achieve. I searched for all this wisdom and this knowledge, and at the end of the day, it was worthless. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow because as I learned and as I, Solomon, sought out wisdom, the sadder I got because as I learned all these facts and all this information, I learned that there are 40 million slaves in the world today, which is more than any time in human history. And after I learned about the slave industry, I also learned that the slave industry generates $150 billion every single year. And as I continued to learn, I got sadder and sadder. And then I learned that 879,000 abortions happen annually in the USA alone. As I continued to learn, I got more and more depressed because I also learned that 16,000 child hunger deaths happen per day across the globe. So he's getting sadder and sadder as he learns. And at the end of the day, he's saying this pursuit of knowledge is all meaningless and he's just smashing it. This is the goal of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, that he is taking all of these ways in which we try to find pleasure and in which we try to find meaning and in which we try to find happiness, and he's just toppling them and smashing them like weather stations. He's taken on all these weather stations, all these presuppositions and expectations and things that we chase after, and he's just smashing them and saying all of those pursuits are useless apart from God. That's his whole point. And today, he's going to take on pleasure as we focus in on chapter 2. And he's just going to smash the pursuit of pleasure apart from God. Here's what he says in chapter 2. He says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So he's taking on pleasure and he's about to smash it. And he uses that word that's going to occur 39 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is meaningless. And some translations will use the word vanity there. And those capture part of what that word is. But the Hebrew word there is hevel. And hevel partly means vanity, partly means meaninglessness. But here's again why I imagine a vaping teenager writing Ecclesiastes. Because hevel is a vapor. That's the idea, is a vapor and a wind. And so I imagine him blowing out that vape. And he's looking at that vape saying, yeah, that's all this stuff. That's what it is. It's meaningless. It's hevel. It's a vapor. It's fleeting. It's a smoke. It's a wind. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Now, I feel compelled to do this. Right, old boys? This is for you. Vaping is bad for you. Josh Turner, this is for you. Vaping is bad. Any student in the room, vaping is bad for you. Jason Ziegler, vaping is bad for you. Beckett, vaping is bad for you, okay? So your pastor is standing up here. 
saying vaping is bad for you, okay? So I'm not advocating vaping. Vaping is bad. Nobody should do it. Not even students. Nobody. Nor should anybody smoke, okay? So this is your pastor saying, I do not advocate vaping or smoking. It is bad. And if you're under 18, it's actually illegal. So no one ought to vape or smoke. So clear? Are we clear on that? I am simply using vaping because it works as an analogy for this sermon. Because Hevel is a vapor. It is something that you grasp at, and when you grasp at it, you can see it, and you can grab at it, but when you grab at it, your hand actually comes up empty. That is the idea of Hevel. And what he's saying is pleasure is Hevel. The pursuit of happiness apart from God is Hevel. You grasp at it, it's there, but then your hand comes up empty. It's fleeting. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. You grasp at it, but at the end of the day, you have nothing in your hand. And here's what he says. After much thought... I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at, here's that idea of, vapor, of, of Hevel, vapor, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. So he's naming all of these things that he did to try to pursue pleasure. He's naming all these things he tried to find happiness in. And it makes perfect sense that Solomon would author this book because Solomon presided over the richest time in Israel's history. During Solomon, Israel was the toast of the town and the premier nation in the world. People would send their nobles and their princes and their princesses and their queens to make diplomatic deals with Solomon. That's why he had 700 wives as part of all these diplomatic relations. And they would trade with him. And he had the temple built and he had the city built up. And everybody wanted to be Israel when Solomon was king because they were hyper-rich. He says, I also own large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and I had many beautiful concubines, 700. I had everything a man could desire. Is 700 wives really something a man could desire? I totally just thought about that. I'm like, that's, like, that's a lot of headaches. Like, I, I have one and I love her and it's great. I don't need any more. I'm really good with one. Really good. I love her. She's perfect. But I don't need any more. So, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. And so Solomon, as he's riding in his bends, is looking at everything that he has. And he's looking at all his wives that he has. And he's looking, he's looking at his, his palace that he has. And he's looking at all his flocks and all his herds and all his servants. And he's saying, I got it all. I got it all. There is not one pleasure that I denied myself. And then he says this as he looks at all his wealth and all his success and all his money and all his possessions. And he says, but as I looked at everything, I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so heavy. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I grasped at pleasure and my hand came up empty. I grasped at the wind and my hand had nothing in it. I grasped at all these things to make me happy, and at the end of the day, I wasn't. At the end of the day, it was fleeting. At the end of the day, it was a vapor. Chris Gardner, in that interview about why the why in the word happiness, later on in that same interview, he says this. He says, money is the least significant aspect of wealth. 
Now, I don't know if Chris Gardner is a believer or not. I did some research, and there have been some interviews with him, like Christians have done interviews with him. I don't know if he's a believer or not, but he seems to at least understand that money is, at the end of the day, not the thing that you are going to find your meaning in. At the end of the day, he says, money is the least significant aspect of wealth. He has a bigger definition of wealth, and I get the sense that his definition of wealth is where you find meaning. And he says money is the least significant aspect of that. So he gets the fleeting nature of money. And this is a man who knows not having any money and knows having a lot of money. And he says it's the least significant aspect. It's hevel. It does not lead to lasting happiness. And so what Solomon does in the book of Ecclesiastes is he continues to smash anything he can possibly smash. He takes on pleasure, he takes on wealth, he takes on status, he takes on career, and he just continues to smash these weather stations. And he leaves a trail of broken weather stations throughout the book as he gets to his conclusion in chapter 12. So he's smashing as many weather stations as he can until he gets to chapter 12. He culminates in this verse. He says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. This is what matters. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Nothing else will lead to lasting happiness except for fearing the Lord and having a relationship with God. The pursuit of happiness in chapter 2 is hevel. He grasped at it. He had all the earthly pleasures that anyone could possibly have, and he grasped at all of them, but his hands came up empty because all that was hevel. And the only thing that matters at the end of the day, the only thing that will lead to lasting happiness is a relationship with God, fearing the Lord and doing what he says out of your joy of knowing him. That's what he's saying. At the end of the trail of broken weather stations, the only thing that matters is a relationship with the God who is the creator of everything. So Solomon is using this idea of hevel, which is grasping at something and your hand comes up empty. And yet at the end of the day, 1,000 years after Solomon, a little less than 1,000 years after Solomon, God would give us someone tangible to grasp at. Because a little less than 1,000 years after Solomon, God sends us the tangible human being of his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, to us. He sends us his tangible self as one of us on Christmas, born in a manger. And now, not only do we just have a relationship with the creator of the world, but he has revealed himself to us as one of us by sending his own self as a human. And now we have someone tangible that we can wrap our arms around, someone tangible that we can grasp onto and say, this guy is my Lord and King. Here's what Colossians 2, verses 8 to 9 says. It says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you grasp onto Jesus Christ, he is what gives you lasting happiness. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is the only one who will give you a happiness that lasts because in grasping onto Christ is where you find your completeness. It is in union with his son Jesus and our king that you find lasting happiness and that you are finally made complete. The search for happiness ends in this baby boy born in a manger, God himself sent to us as one of us. That is who we worship. That is who we grab onto. It is in him that we find lasting happiness and a happiness that never runs out.